Hello and welcome back to the Politics Unboxed podcast. My name is Reese, and today it is time to talk about the polls because we have elections on Thursday, which is what not too many days away now. This episode coming out on Monday. And with these elections, there are always election predictions alongside them. And these predictions will possibly give us uh, a good view of of what might happen. And from there we can start to to look and hypothesise about possible future paths. So I'll be looking at um, national polling in Scotland, Wales and across England, as well as the London mayoral race. All that to come in today's episode of the Politics Unboxed podcast. On the other side of the pond, uh, polls have got a bit of a bashing over the last two presidential elections. Uh, in 2016, um, it was widely seen that polls did not get it correct in predicting Hillary Clinton would win, uh, although some were within the margin of error. And then again in 2020, we saw Joe Biden win the presidential election, as predicted, but by a lot slimmer a margin than was being uh, put forward by some of these pollsters. But that does not mean that these headline mistakes, as people will see them, uh, should discredit all polls. And in fact, there are some pollsters who have shown themselves to be very good at capturing the uh, national feel of things over in Britain. Now we have quite a selection of pollsters. Um, We've got plenty of, of companies who will perform research on behalf of clients sometimes or for their own publication. We've got people like Opinion, Servation, YouGov, Redford Winton, uh, Cantar Public, um, just to, to put some forward, and then there's Savanta Comrades as well. And I've been looking through some of their polls, and it's time to have a look at what is going around about the voting intentions of the general public in regards to the elections that are coming up very, very soon, as I said at the start of the episode. So we will start where we have national polls for national elections, and that means we're starting in Scotland and Wales, and we'll start north of the border. Now here I've got a a poll aggregator up uh, that's taken the most recent polls. Uh, This is on the Financial Times website. You can find it. I'll try and link it in the description for this podcast. Um, But this is the poll tracker. They've been tracking the polls since 2016, which was the last Scottish election, and they've put together sort of a trend line of best fit for all the major parties. And it comes out looking pretty nice for the Scottish National Party. Now, as I've talked about before, Scotland uses a dual vote system or a hybrid voting system where you get one vote in your constituency and um, one vote for your region. And in the constituency votes, uh, because there are polls for, for both types, In the constituency votes, the SNP look like they have about 48% of the votes. Now, that is declining since sort of January. That's been going down. But it is just a little bit higher, uh, it looks like, than um, they were in 2016. Which is good for the SNP because uh, they will be targeting seats. And if they gain these seats, then they could be pushed over into a majority. Now, the majority line, the magic number, in the Scottish Parliament is 65. And the SNP 
Well, currently they have 61. They actually won 63 in the last election, but they had a couple of defections. And the SNP will be targeting um, Labour-held seats, really. Uh, Dumbarton, East Lothian, Edinburgh Southern, uh, and they'll try and get marginal constituencies, Edinburgh Central, Aberdeen West and Eyre, from the Conservatives. If they can make those gains, then they will get enough for a majority of one. Uh, in fact, they'll have more of a majority. Um, actually, no, sorry, they are only two constituencies each, because Dumbarton and it's East Lothian and Edinburgh Southern, and then Edinburgh Central and Aberdeen West and Eyre. Uh, so those are four seats they're targeting, and if they can gain those seats, then they will get that majority. Scottish Tories look like they are up a little bit on where they were in 2016 as well. They've been sort of staying around the same level. Uh, Labour have, well, they were going quite well in about 2018, and they dropped back down again, and now they're around the same level. Both Labour and the Scottish Tories on 21% in the constituency votes, and then you drop down to the Lib Dems on 7 and the Greens on 2%. If we turn our attention to the regional list, because while 73 uh, MSPs are constituency MSPs, 56 are from the regions. Uh, so there are 8 regions and there are 7 MSPs per region. Now, the Greens are quite likely to do well in these regional list votes according to the polls. Um, they are pro-independence, and if they do quite well in the regional polls then there could be, even if the SNP don't get a majority, um, enough of a pro-independence majority in Holyrood. Uh, now, this is because in the Scottish system, as I said in my episode on the Scottish system, go check it out if, um, if you haven't, uh, the regional voting is sort of weighted against the overall proportional vote so that one side doesn't end up with just all of the seats based off about 30% of the overall vote. Uh, and the SNP doing very well in all the constituencies means that they are pretty handicapped when it comes to uh, how well they can do in the regional vote. So some, some people will still vote SNP twice. Um, quite a few people will. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon is pushing for it this time as uh, cast both your votes for the SNP, more so than you've seen before. So the Scottish Greens being a pro-independence voice could be a natural home for some of those people. You're, you're probably less likely to see uh, an SNP Tory voter than an SNP Green voter. The wild card here is the Alba Party, with Alex Salmond at the head of it, uh, who are sort of anywhere between 1% and 6%, depending on the poll trackers. Now, in order to get any seats, you'd need uh, any seats in this regional list, uh, which is the only places in which... Uh, Alba are standing. Uh, they aren't standing in any constituencies. To get support, you have to have more than 5% in any one region. Uh, otherwise, you don't qualify for a, a share of the pie. So, if they can find some support in several regions, they could get enough support to win some regional seats. And that will be interesting to watch. Um, firstly, from an independence point of view, they are on a unashamedly pro-independence. Their slogan is create a supermajority for independence. Uh, But also it would be interesting to watch the um, power politics between two first former, well one former first minister of Scotland and the current first minister of Scotland in Holyrood. So just something that that might happen. Uh, Whilst we're on the topic of Scottish independence, 
Scottish independence has sort of hit its lowest ebb since uh, mid-2020. Um, support for independence now dropping back below um, support for remaining uh, at 44% for yes, 46% for no. Um, and it's... Well, it's it's interesting to watch the debate around Scottish independence rise and fall as the polls rise and fall. Obviously, when yes has a bigger lead than the SNP, start talking about independence more. When no gets a lead, then um, unionists start talking against independence more. Um, but this campaign will have a lot of independence thoughts around it. Now, I'm going to turn to Wales, the other national election with a national poll attached to it. And they vote in pretty much the same way as Scotland. You cast two votes, one for your constituency, one for your region. Uh, there are only uh, 60 uh, MSs, it's members of the Senate, um, in Wales, 40 of which are constituency, 20 of which are region. There are five regions with four regional MSs in each. And if we look at the constituency voting intention, well, Labour have a lead there. And Labour have been in power... Uh, since devolution took effect in 1999. Now, they are sat on 37% of the vote on this aggregator from the Financial Times again. Um, with the Conservatives, their second, well, their, their next challenger on 27%, Plaid Cymru 21%, then you have the Lib Dems and Reform UK on 4%, the Greens on 3%, and UKIP on 2%. That would be a good showing, don't get me wrong. Uh, it would be a, possibly a little bit higher than where they were in 2016, but their rivals would be far closer. So whilst the Labour Party might be slightly ahead of where they were, um, the collapse of the UKIP vote from 2016 to now has allowed the Conservatives to gain ground. Um, and that, well, it is noticeable on the polls, how when the UKIP vote goes down, the Tory vote goes up, and then you see Reform UK taking over from where UKIP were, the Tory vote goes down again, and then the Tory vote goes back up when Reform UK drop off. So the Conservatives will be looking to make gains. The polls suggest that if there is a uniform swing, they could make gains at Labour's expense in places like Wrexham, the Gar, the Vale of Clwyd, and the Vale of Glamorgan. Um... And the chances of the Labour Party getting a majority in this election look like they are slipping away. But that hasn't stopped them governing before. Uh, in fact, they haven't had a majority in every one of the uh, Welsh Assembly elections before this one. Um, yes, it was called the Welsh Assembly then. Um, it is now the Welsh Parliament or the Senate. Uh, to turn to the regional list, well, there are, again, fairly similar to the constituency votes in that area. Labour have 34%, the Tories 24%, Plaid Cymru 21%. Here's where it gets interesting, though. The fourth largest party on regional vote share is the Abolish the Welsh Assembly Party. Uh, they are on 8%, and they look like they're going to get themselves um, a seat in the Senate. So that's one for, for Turkey's voting for Christmas to look out for. Uh, the Abolish the Welsh Assembly Party um, will probably, as the polls suggest, get a seat in the Senate. So something to look out for. To turn our attention to uh, the English elections, and I want to start with the London mayoral race, because, well, I, I can talk about this one fairly quickly. 
and then get on to the next lot. Because this looks like it is going to be a blowout win for Sadiq Khan. Now I know we've overstated things before, but then the polls have got things wrong, but this put it this way, if if London does not go to Sadiq Khan on Thursday or whenever the votes come in as being counted, um a lot of pollsters and a lot of commentators will be eating a lot of humble pie. Um this is yeah, a lot of these polls have him sort of in the, the high 40s, uh, so I'm, I'm looking at some of them here. Some from earlier in the month had him in the low 50s. Uh, one from Opinion, ending on the 10th of April, um, had him on 51%. And now we see that he's around 45%, uh, somewhere around the 45% mark. And he's got a clear lead. He's got about a 13, 14% lead over his nearest rival, Sean Bailey, for the Conservatives. Um, there are lots of other candidates standing. We've got Sean Berry for the Green Party. Um, we've got Lawrence Fox for the Reclaim Party. Louisa Porritt for the Liberal Democrats. Count Bimface, uh, he's standing. Um, we've also got uh, Nico Omelana who's running as an independent candidate and is currently in third place in the uh, in the polling. His aim is to firstly stop Sadiq Khan winning on the first ballot uh, and secondly to get more young people engaged in politics. He's a YouTuber who's running a, a grassroots campaign. Um, but it doesn't look like anyone will deny Sadiq Khan this mayoralty. Um, now, let's turn to... Uh, opinion polling for the well, what has been dubbed Super Thursday, uh, and we're looking at the English local elections here. Um, unfortunately, there aren't too many great polls on other mayoralties, the metro mayoralties. Uh, I did have a bit of a look, but I couldn't find too many. If you do know of any, uh, please direct me to them, and I'll try and fit them into another episode. But for this Super Thursday election, where we're seeing all these local elections for 4,650 councillors up and down the country, um, it is useful sometimes to look at the opinion polling for the next general election, because that is definitely still happening. The voting intention polls are out regularly, and as this is in all but name as close to a national election as you'll get, this is how many people will make their decisions on who to vote for on Thursday. So, let's have a look at those polls, because, well, we are... I'm going to look at the polls from the 21st of April onwards. Uh, and if we look at the 21st of April, we have a YouGov poll and an opinion poll, who both came out with around a 10% lead for the Conservative Party. Now, those two polls, those two pollsters, uh, they were doing a poll for the Times and the Observer. Those are their usual um collaborators, I guess, as their clients. YouGov's next poll, which came out uh, on the 29th of April, uh, based on research from the 27th to 28th of April, showed a lead of 11% for the Conservative Party. Opinion's next poll, which came out on the 1st of May and was based off data collected on the 28th to the 30th of April, showed a 5% Conservative lead. Now, this is a very interesting uh, look, because it suggests that the Conservatives have been damaged somewhat by the last almost solid week of headlines surrounding the Prime Minister. 
And that is what many people watching the news and within the, the news communities have been suspecting would happen. Um, it isn't a uniform decrease. Uh, for instance, we've got people, uh, YouGov still holding out on 11%. Number Crunch of Politics have got about a 9% conservative lead. Um, Redfield and Wilton have got about a 10% conservative lead. But if you look at people like BMG, um, Servation, uh, Opinion and Focal Data, they have got leads no bigger than 5%, and most of them, uh, in fact, a plurality of those have a 1% lead for the Conservative Party, which shows a marked drop-off in the vaccine bounce that we sort of were assuming that Boris Johnson was getting. Because we've seen from a very low point in sort of November to November of last year to January of this year, uh, we saw the Labour Party really sort of 1% up or down from where the Conservatives were. And that was expected to stay around that way. I, I don't think many people saw the, the pulling away that the Conservative Party were going to do between January and sort of April time. But now we're seeing that gap narrow again. And it's important to note that the Conservative Party are going into these local elections with quite a lot to lose. Um, they have about 2,000 councillors up for grabs this election. They don't have as many councils under their control as the Labour Party, but they do have more councillors. Uh, the Labour Party have about 1,600, I think, councillors up for grabs, maybe uh, 1,500. So the Tory party, you'll be able to see fairly nationally how uh, this goes. And if we look back to when these council seats were last up for the election, uh, in either 2016 or 2017, depending on the seat, the Conservative Party had about a 10% lead in the polls. So that's sort of the, the gap that needs to be maintained in order for things just to stay the same. That's important to note. For anything other than essentially a 10, 10.5% poll victory for the Conservatives, and you will see um, a trickle of, of blue councillors, uh, well, turning into a, a wave potentially as they get unseated. Now, I talked. I said I would make some some speculations about what might happen after these elections based on these polls, uh, and I will, uh, if only to have something to be pointed at in a week's time and said, well, that didn't happen. Um, but it's time to make some predictions. Um, I'm not going to predict how the elections are going to go, but I am going to predict what will happen if certain results happen. So we'll start with the English elections. Uh, there are one of three scenarios here. The first scenario is that this perceived narrowing in the polls is not actually happening, um, and that the Conservatives hold that 10-point gap and possibly even increase that gap. If that happens, then I think any internal party political pressure on the Prime Minister will be massively relaxed. Uh, we've heard stories of ministers and cabinet members briefing against others sort of surrounding the um, flat renovations and the Cummings revelations um, I think anything like that would stop <laughs> um, the second scenario is that yep, 
the the lead is cut, and I don't know maybe a hundred councillors uh, get knocked off the Conservative Party totals. But it isn't um, it isn't a, a blue wave out of power. And if that happens, well, then I think Boris Johnson is again probably safe. I don't think there will be enough pressure to to make him go from inside his own party. Obviously, if it is found out that he broke the ministerial code or anything else, then that's just uh, other things on top of this. But in purely election results, if it is only about a, a hundred councillors go, then I think the political pressure will be will be eased because they will say, well, if this is Boris Johnson's worst and we've only lost a hundred councillors, he's doing more good than harm for us. The third scenario is this red wave comes crashing down and the Tories um, are moved aside. And if that happens, then I think you will see this very tenuous relationship between Boris Johnson and the wider Conservative Party almost fall apart. Um, He is there as a vote winner. That's his USP. He won twice in Labour London as mayor. He was part of the winning Brexit campaign and he got the 2019 general election. Uh, Three, or four really, good examples of political victories. If there's a crushing defeat, then who is the man? A lot of people will ask that question. So if there's a crushing defeat, I think the internal party pressure will be too much and he will go. Let's turn to London. Uh, London... Well, actually, I've, I've pretty much said what I think will happen in London. Um, either Sadiq Khan will win, and everyone will pat themselves on the back for saying, well done, we got that one right, or he won't win, and we will have a massive upset. And I think it would be a massive upset. So we, we won't talk too much about London. Let's go to Wales. Uh, and in Wales, again, there are, again, sort of three things that I think can happen. The first is that things stay roughly as they are. Um, The Labour Party is in power. Uh, They don't have a majority. I I don't know if a majority would would happen, but whether or not there's a majority, I reckon this scenario stays the same. The Labour Party stay in power in either, yes, this majority or in this comfortable minority that they have enjoyed uh, with support from uh, Greens and Liberal Democrats in the Senate. Uh, and everyone sort of moves around a little bit as the Tories overtake Plaid as the second biggest party in Wales, um, and not too much changes. The second possibility is that the Labour Party lose quite a few seats. Too too many seats are lost to um, allow them to comfortably govern in normal circumstances, so they have to enter coalition talks. And those coalition talks would be with Plaid Cymru. They would not be with the Conservative Party. And so we see Plaid Cymru back at the top table in Welsh politics. And that's not an unlikely scenario. I think a lot of Plaid Cymru supporters are anticipating eagerly the results of Thursday's election. Um, They feel like a door to power could be opened for them. And it looks like it could. The third scenario is bad for both the Labour Party and Plaid Cymru, but for the Labour Party more so. And that that would be the the shock outcome. The shock outcome of uh, the Conservatives surging into either outright first or very close second place in seat share in the Welsh 
Parliament. Uh, I don't think this is as likely to happen as either of the other two, but it is something that, if it does happen, we'll see Mark Drakeford gone as Welsh Labour leader um, and as First Minister, um, and a new Welsh Labour leader put in place, probably as First Minister to try and form a coalition with Plaid. Um, possibly not, we never know. Um, again, I don't think that's the most likely outcome. One final time, let's turn to Scotland. Let's have a look at what might happen in there. Uh, and again, I think there are really, realistically, two major outcomes. Um, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll find a third one. But the first one is the SNP win a majority. Um, that is, um, I don't know if I'd say it's likely to happen, but it is not unfeasible. And if that happens, then we see the SNP pushing hard for a second independence referendum. But Nicola Sturgeon has said she would not push for one in 2021, which is interesting, because previously she said she would. Um, we obviously know the SNP's position on independence. Uh, it's in the name. And we would see a very similar style of, of governance in Scotland. The second scenario is the SNP fail to get the majority. Uh, either staying where they are or, or going backwards, in fact. And I think the most likely situation from there is another coalition or conference and supply deal with the Scottish Green Party, certainly around independence issues, and maybe they'll go sort of piecemeal with other parties on other issues. Um, whatever happens, I'm fairly certain the SNP will be in government in Scotland. Uh, it's one of the the more dependable outcomes in modern Scottish elections. Um, the third option is a big ALBA vote. If we just don't see this ALBA vote coming, uh, and it pulls support away from the SNP and the Greens in the regional vote, and that makes Alex Salmon the kingmaker on many issues. Um, and it would be interesting to see that. It would certainly be interesting. Um, but I don't think the SNP would get into bed with ALBA, especially given the personal differences between the current First Minister and former First Minister. Uh, so that would throw a spanner in the works of Nicola Sturgeon's legislative progress. Um, as regards the other parties in Scotland, uh, I don't see too many of them changing, um, no matter what the results of the election are. Uh, the Scottish Conservatives look set behind Douglas Ross to make small gains, uh, and I don't see him being moved on. Anna Sawa who is Scottish Labour leader, has only been in post about uh, 10 weeks, so I don't see him getting moved on no matter what the results of the election are. So, I've made my predictions. Um, maybe I'll have egg on my face when some of them don't come true in about a week's time. Um, but that is all the time we have for today on the Politics Unbox podcast, so I want to thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope to see you all around again soon for the next episode of the podcast, and until then, goodbye. Thank mm-hmm. you.